Hello and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Gordon Smith, and this week I'm joined by co-host Jay Shabbat to discuss the latest results from IAG and Air France KLM, as well as the state of play in the South American airline market. Hi, Jay. How's it going? Gordon, I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. I believe you are on your travels this week. Well, I'm in sunny Florida, so I can't complain oh, about the weather anymore. The margaritas flowing? Are you more of a pina coletta man? No, no, I'm just a sunshine man. I'm here for the sunshine. A sunshine man. You're in the right place, the sunshine state. Exactly. We've got so much to cover this week. Uh, we are recording Thursday afternoon, my time here in Europe, uh, Thursday morning across the pond with Jay. Uh, and it's been a busy week uh, generally, but we've got some big earnings numbers from some of the European carriers uh, just released in the past few hours, IEG. That's the super group that owns British Airways, Iberia, Vueling, Aer Lingus, uh, and, and a few other bits and pieces, and Air France, KLM, uh, fairly self-explanatory, who they own, plus uh, Transavia. Jay, where do we start with the, with the European supergroups? What's your, uh, your top-line take? All right, we'll give you, give you some numbers. Go so uh, for IAG and Air France, KLM, and uh, as Gordon, as I think you may have mentioned, we're talking on Thursday here, and uh, the uh, as you said, the two the two big guys there, IAG and Air France, KLM, just reported. So we have, um, not to really anybody's surprise, IAG is doing extremely well, and Air France, KLM, yeah, maybe not so well. Uh, particularly, in the, depend, t- the, the answer changes a little bit whether we're talking about just the fourth quarter or just a full year. Now, normally I'd focus on, on the quarterly results because that's, those are new and fresh. I will just give you, uh, for the sake of time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the, the full year numbers here just uh, to give you a broader picture of how these, uh, these airlines fared in 2023. So IAG walked away with a 12% operating margin. So anytime an airline is into double digits, that's usually a good news story as it is here. Uh, you can break that down. British Airways, 10%. Whaling did 10%. Aer Lingus did 12%. The real star of the show in 2013 was Iberia, 13.5. Uh, just had a really excellent year. Some of that has to do with just Spain's economy is very tourism oriented. And uh, there's t- tourism is the sort of the area of the, uh, the airline sort of demand that, that's, been, that's been booming, as, as many of you know. So uh, the so it's been so whaling has benefited from that as well. They're based in Barcelona. Uh, these guys also have IAG has an airline called Level, which is small. They fly a few long haul routes to the Americas. Um, they do not provide margin details for for Level. Uh, there's also an Iberia Express. So there's some you know small small Euroflyer, Cityflyer, a few little sub airlines here that. Uh, don't pay too too close attention to, but bottom line is uh, IAG is doing you know performing very very well. There's some interesting numbers out of IAG with regards to capacity. Ninety five point seven percent of pre pandemic levels, uh, and I believe that rose even further in the final quarter of 2023 to reach ninety eight point six percent, and they're forecasting uh, additional growth of around seven percent for this calendar year. So the trajectory is definitely going one way. Right. And it starts to get even more interesting if you look at it by region, because a lot of the basically the reason why they're not back to fully back to uh, 2019 levels is, is Asia and China in particular. There's still British Airways, um, which uh, now remember, this is not a very Asia heavy airline, much less so than, than Lufthansa and even Air France KLM. 
Uh, but to the extent that British Airways did fly to you know China, Japan, Singapore, a few other places, uh, there's there's less of much less of that today than there was 2019. Now, if you look across the Atlantic uh, to North America to South America, the the capacity's going to be up. They they've added a lot of new routes. They've they've grown. So uh, that is where I mean that is if you want to you know, boil this all down, you know, why is IAG thriving right now? I mean, really the answer is in one word is the Americas. I guess that's two words, but <laughs> the the Americas is, how about we just say Americas? Uh, there we go. Yeah, there we go. That's that's really where the action is, both North and South. Uh, and then everything else is, you know, really just a footnote. Um, and Air France, we won't talk about them today in detail, but, uh, you know, they're much more exposed to, for example, the Middle East and some of the political issues there. They're you know, heavy in Africa, they're heavy, uh, just, it's more of a geographically diversified route network, which is, you know, can be very good. Um, but when the Americas just happens to be booming, IAG is in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Interesting that Ben Smith this morning on the earnings call highlighting not just Israel, obviously Air France KLM going into Tel Aviv, uh, before the start of the, the Israel Gaza war in early October, 2023. Air France has gone back in there, I think, just with around three frequencies a week. KLM yet to do so. Um, but he also highlighted some of the, the broader conflicts globally, Niger, Mali, uh, other uh, sort of insecurity, instability issues in Africa that were affecting some of the, the operations. And I think they actually put a, they put a number on it. Uh, they said that they were uh, predicting a, a loss of around 65 million euros directly related to uh, those insecurities. So wiping 65 million from its operating results. So, you know, we quite often speak in abstract terms about wars and conflict, but it, it hits the bottom line. Right. And I should, uh, again, I, I, I know we don't want to go down the, uh, the Air France KLM uh, rabbit hole here, but uh, th- I should add that they, they did lose money in the fourth quarter. Unlike, you know, IAG had a 7% operating margin. Air France KLM had negative one and both Air France KLM lost money. And then Transavia, which is their low cost carrier, uh, they have units both in France and the Netherlands. That thing lost, uh, that, was, that, that thing lost a lot of money, negative 21%. Some of that is seasonal. You know, they had a great summer, so it's, you know, not too surprising that they lose money. But they lost, you know, it was a lot, the loss margins were a lot worse than they were in 2019, for example. And some of that uh, relates to Transavia's exposure to some of those markets that you mentioned in the Middle East. Uh, and then, yeah, I think more the sort of the Sub-Saharan Africa, that's more mainline Air France, KLM. Uh, Transavia would be the, uh, yeah, more, more Middle East, North Africa. Uh, so yeah, wasn't wasn't a good quarter for for them. Interesting stuff. And just pivoting back to to IAG for a moment, like you said, when transatlantic is good, it can be really good. And IAG, they've got a sort of multifaceted approach when it comes to transatlantic flying, uh, not just from Europe to to the US and North America, but also into Central America and, and South America. You've got Aer Lingus and BA very very strong on on, on America USA in particular. But the Madrid hub, incredibly powerful tool to get people uh, channeled through Madrid and onwards down to down to Latin America. Right, and what, what they only, what they want to do now is is buy Air Europa, which uh, has uh, really the, the you know the only major competitor from Madrid to, to South America. And uh, you have to wonder: Are regulators going to allow that? Uh, that came up in the earnings call a little bit, and IAG management 
basically says, yeah, we, you know, we still, we think we can get it through. We're, you know, look, if, if the regulators allow this, we're going to add a whole bunch of new service. It's going to be good for consumers. We'll be able to develop the Madrid hub even more, perhaps even justify, you know, new routes to Asia, you know, just to get the scale from the hub. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what the regular, how the regulators come down on that, but they will um, take a very, if that deal does go through the Air Europa takeover, it would result in a very, very strong carrier in Latin America getting even stronger. Absolutely. And listening to the call with the IEG executives this morning, they did seem to take some, some solace from the fact that the EU just last week gave the green light to uh, Korean Air and Asiana uh, merging, albeit with some, with some conditions and, and strings attached. Do you think, Jay, that's maybe too, too, too straight of a of comparison? There's, there's much more complexities involved with, uh, with any full tie-up between Air Europa and Iberia versus two quite distant Far Eastern carriers and their impact on Europe. Well, exactly. I mean, I think that's, that's the point is that the you know, Korean Air doesn't really, if you're a European Union antitrust regulator, you're not really going to care all that much about what happens with a Korean Air, you know, two Korean airlines. This is very much, uh, you know, going to affect European consumers, anyone going to Latin America. Now, you know, I, I want to be clear that it's the only, it's Madrid is not the only place you can, you know, where you can get to Latin America from. It's Air France is a vibrant uh, Latin American hub in Paris. And the Lisbon, where, where you are, Gordon, that's a great Latin America hub as well. Uh, you can do some stuff through London. Uh, interestingly, Lufthansa, one of the reasons, a uh, pretty key reason why I bought the sort of the revamped Alitalia ITA Airways was that it can do some Latin America from a, a hub like Rome, whereas it's much harder from a hub like Frankfurt or Munich. Uh, so there are options, but there's, yeah, there's nothing quite like Madrid. I should add that Level is doing some stuff from Barcelona as well. But uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, there's really no comparison between Air Europa and Korean Air Asiana. Absolutely, yeah. So maybe not quite as straight cut as uh, some, of the, some of the comments on the call this morning made out. But it's, uh, it's important to say that this uh, acquisition, uh, 400 million euro, I believe, uh, of Air Europa does remain very fluid. Uh, IEG already owns 20% of the Spanish airline. But like you said, Jay, that European Commission antitrust uh, regulator has got his eyes all over this this deal. Uh, but if approved, it would it would give IG really, really strong dominance between Madrid in particular and, and Latin America. And it, IG says that it needs this deal in order to make Madrid compete with the likes of Frankfurt, Paris, uh, Schiphol and, uh, and Heathrow. Do you, do you buy that claim? Is Madrid not already pretty strong? Nah. I mean, I don't buy it. It's uh, it sounds like it's uh, a little bit uh, far fetched to me. Madrid is uh, just fine. I, th I think what they're saying is, and this is you know, I want to be fair to them. They they're saying that Madrid be potentially becomes more of a th they call it a three sixty degree hub, whereas okay, so right now Madrid, uh, you know, IAG does not need Air Europa to make Madrid a great Latin America hub, but do they need Air Europa? Uh, to amass more scale to support flights to, let's say, Asia or you know, perhaps more down to Africa? Maybe. I mean, maybe you get more of that. But to me, that sounds like a distraction. I don't know about you, Gordon, but that sounds like a distraction to me. The, the, the real focus for the regulators 
should be the Latin America routes. And I'm not saying that they should automatically reject it, but, you know, perhaps they do, uh, you know, they're going to demand some conditions. I think IAG is offering some. Uh, and, um, you know, perhaps they want to, you know, j just create some kind of conditions that allow other competitors to, uh, to, to hop in on there. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how they treat it. Absolutely. We will keep you abreast of the various developments there, both on the, the podcast and in the Airline Weekly uh, issues. I just want to talk very, very briefly, Jay, about IAG loyalty, because it's, uh, it's not just about airlines and the, the, you know, the, the metal birds flying through the sky. There's a very, very lucrative niche of the, of the aviation business uh, that a lot of carriers have cottoned on to, uh, and it's these loyalty programs. Uh, so IAG loyalty, which is the, the brand behind Avios, that's the currency used by British Airways, Iberia, Aer Lingus, Fueling, the, the usual suspects, but now also Qatar Airways and Finnair, uh, that did very, very well. Uh, profits rising by 17% year on year to £280 million. Pounds. Yes. This is uh, a bit of a moneymaker. It is, yeah, and a 17% operating margin. So, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. It's a 400 million in US dollars in revenue. I'm not sure uh, what you did. You just quote was that a net profit number? I think you quoted, but the it's yeah, as I mean, the point here is that it's very, very profitable. And this is true for, uh, you know, a lot of big global airlines that can support these. Uh, you know, loyalty programs with millions of members. Now, it's nothing quite like you're never going to get. The U.S. is its kind of own special category where you have, you know, 150, 200 million members in some of these big programs like, you know, Delta Sky Miles and United uh, Mileage Plus. But, plus, but, um, but yeah, it's 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 big enough. I mean, it's making it's making good money. I know Air France is uh, trying to do something similar with their program, Flying Blue. Uh, you know, Lufthansa has there, so. These are um, very prized assets for, for airlines. We'll have more insights uh, on IG and Air France KLM uh, in this uh, coming issue of Airline Weekly. Uh, and we will be back after this a very short break, and we will be heading across that southern uh, Atlantic route to, to Latin America to discuss the latest state of play there. Stay with us. Hello, welcome back. I am Gordon Smith, and you are listening to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. This week, I'm joined by co-host Jay Shabbat. In part one, we were discussing IAG and briefly Air France KLM. Now we're pivoting our attention to Latin America, uh, which is actually going to be the, the feature of this week's Airline Weekly uh, issue, Jay, looking particularly at uh, LATAM Airlines, but also more broadly about the, uh, the, the health of the South American market. What can you tell us there? Sure. And we'll focus on LATAM today. That's the, uh, the biggest airline in South America, just because they, uh, they are the only ones that have yet to report their fourth quarter results. Uh, there are essentially um, four, there are really four big airlines in South America. It's, it's LATAM and they're based in Chile, but they have you know, units pretty much all, all over the continent. There's four or five big, big airline operations in uh, Brazil and Peru, et cetera. And then you have um, Avianca, based in Colombia. And then you have the two Brazilian carriers, Gol and Azul. Now, I used to call them the big four. I think more appropriately, we can call them the big three because Gol and Avianca are now merged, sort of. And I say sort of because they're still operated largely independent, uh, you know, with their own fleets and their own financial statements and whatnot, but they're under the same holding company now. So 
we'll let we'll let you all uh, you know choose whether you like to call them the big four or the big three. But in any case, it is uh, it does speak to the fact that the industry in South America, the airline industry, is very very consolidated, um, and that has helped shore up earnings there. Um, and sh- sure enough, the the all, all four of these airlines um, have been reporting very very strong profits uh, throughout 2023. So I have the Q4 numbers, just so you know. Uh, LATAM recorded an 11% operating margin in the fourth quarter of 2023. And that was down slightly from where they were in 2019, uh, but it was up from where they were in the fourth quarter of 2022, about, about three points, three percentage points. Uh, so there you have it. They're, you know, it's a good, good situation for LAM. They went through their bankruptcy. Uh, um, interestingly, all four of these carriers <laughs> They either went through bankruptcy or came very close, restructured either you know within with core protection or, or uh, outside of core protection. But they all had to do this massive restructuring, and they're all in good shape now. And how does Big Three, Big Four? We'll, we'll let our listeners decide what uh, what name they prefer. How are they interacting with outside pressures? You know, so you, you've, you've obviously got American Airlines very strong coming down into South America. You've even got the likes of Emirates coming in now uh, and weighing in on some some particular routes, I think uh, Miami to, to Bogota in, in Colombia. Um, you know, not looking at any airline in particular, is the, are, are the native carriers within South America strong enough to, to, to fend off this, this overseas competition? Well, in one sense, yes. So let me start by saying that uh, within South America, the competition is very weak. Uh, I mentioned all the consolidation that's happened. But if you look at in a place like Brazil, I mean that's a country with I don't know 200 million people plus, and and there's only three those three carriers. It's Azul, Gol, and Latam, because a fourth carrier collapsed in 2019, and then you have a few low cost carriers kind of prowling the continent. JetSmart is a notable one. They're owned by the same company as Wizz Air and, and Frontier and Volaris. Um, you know, a few other, you have some state-owned carriers like Aerolinos Argentinas, but no one ever, you know, considered them a, uh, a, a competitive champion. I mean, so they're not exactly, uh, nobody's, nobody's fearing them. So that's their situation within South America. Um, and then, you know, to, to more to, to your question about foreign competition or, or overseas competition, because these guys went through their intense restructurings, they're in some ways shielded themselves from some of the inflationary pressures that are really hurting carriers in the United States, for example. Uh, so if you look at like LATAM's unit costs, excluding fuel, they're actually, they're, they're pretty much the same today as they were in 2019, which is remarkable if you consider not just all the inflation that the world has experienced in the past four or five years, but also the fact that a lot of Latin American currencies have depreciated. Still, they managed to keep their <clears throat> unit costs stable, which, you know, that's certainly not true. And you mentioned American, for example, or, or uh, I don't know about Emirates because they don't report, but I suspect their costs have gone up as well, uh, the European carriers. So they, in that sense, they're in a pretty good competitive position. Uh, now, how did, did, uh, how, how did a carrier like LATAM keep their unit cost uh, down so much. Well, a big reason in their particular situation was that they renegotiated their very, very good deal on their aircraft leases right during the thick of the pandemic when 
a lot of leasing companies, and, uh, other creditors were somewhat desperate and, you know, were ready to do really good deals. It's harder to be going through bankruptcy right now, which Goal is doing, uh, because creditors and aircraft lessors are kind of in the opposite situation now. Like, okay, you don't want my plane. I have plenty of other places to put it. So they're not as willing to do those, those great deals. Uh, but in any case, yeah, that's, uh, that's, LATAM was able to really, really get their unit costs to, to a very attractive level um, during their bankruptcy proceeding. And in terms of ownership, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, we've got I think Qatar Airways have a minority share, Delta still have a minority share. It's a, yeah. it's a curious sort of hybrid there, not, not natural bedfellows by, by any means. Um, and right. they, 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 they left the One World Alliance. Um, it, it seems to be an airline that's still sort of finding its feet in some ways, but these numbers would suggest that it's, uh, it's getting there. Yeah, and it's it's not just like a tiny minority; it's a substantial ownership share. I mean, Delta owns ten percent, Qatar Airways owns ten percent, so these are you know these are pretty pretty big stakes. Uh, and what happened? You know, Latam in twenty nineteen, they originally uh, for many years they were partners with American, and American was always kind of considered the best partner to have because the Latin American network was so large relative to what United and Delta have. What happened in twenty nineteen is that Latam and American tried to do a joint venture, but uh, a court, I believe it was the Supreme Court of Chile, uh, said, no, you can't do it. It's anti-competitive. Uh, and interestingly enough, I don't know if they've had anything to say yet, some of these South American governments about Air Europa, but uh, the IAG situation we were talking about before, but that's, uh, you know, keep that in the back of your mind too. But in any case, Chile said no to LATAM American. So LATAM uh, turned to Delta and Delta uh, the two of them now have a, an antitrust immune partnership that was approved in 2022. So they're building that up now. Um, and uh, I think that's working well. Uh, it's a, a little bit of an aside here, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if Delta kind of wants to build up Miami a little bit more now that they have a really good partner in LATAM. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know that there's too much more to say about that other than you know, does, there's that diverse ownership structure with the two different Qatar Airways. That's more of um, they, you know, Qatar is just in a unique situation. Unique situation, excuse me. The government there um, often finds itself with more, you know, energy revenue, gas, gas natural gas revenue, particular than it knows what to do, what to do with. So, and it has a very very small population, local population. There's only so many, you know, schools and hospitals that can open locally. So it has a very aggressive overseas investment um, policy, and one of the areas of investment has been, you know, buying stakes in other One World or previously One World airlines. So they, Qatar Airways, a major shareholder in IAG. They're a major shareholder in LATAM, as we mentioned. They're a major shareholder, I believe, in Cathay Pacific. I may be missing one or two, but that's the logic there. They got fingers and pies, as we like to say in the UK. Fingers and pies. Uh, Jay, fascinating as always to discuss uh, a part of the world that we don't get to to speak about as often as we should uh, on the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Uh, don't forget, you can always contact us via email if you've got any suggestions for stories to cover, any comments, uh, feedback on the program. My address is GS, that's G for Gordon, S for Smith, at skiff.com. And J is available at uh, JS at skiff.com. That's J for J and S for Shabbat. Thanks for joining me this week, Jay. Yeah, thank you, Gordon. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Always fun to talk about airlines. 
Oh yes, that's what we do. Wherever you are in the world, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.